Good morning, church. It's good to see you here this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 11 this morning, and we're going to read uh, all of chapter 11. The title of the message today is, Will You Come to Jesus? Will you come to Jesus? Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went their way... Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there, is not, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has an ear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. (coughs) For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. (coughs) The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable, more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to your little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. 
As most of you know, I'm kind of a child of the 70s, and I kind of like that music from that era. Uh, I had brothers and sisters, and I liked some late 60s, early 60s music, but then I liked the 70s music. And I liked the group called the Carpenters. Many of you probably know who the Carpenters are. Richard and Karen Carpenter shot on the scene in the early 70s with a new kind of a sentimental sound that basically rocked the music world. Uh, their songs were, of course, sentimental and squishy, as I would say. But I liked them. One of the songs was, uh, was entitled, Let Me Be the One. It appealed to a young Bob Ray, who at that time was truly looking for love, who wanted to be someone's one. Anyway, and the song started, Some sleepless night when you find yourself alone, let me be the one you run to. Let me be the one you come to when you need someone to hold you. Now that probably says a lot about my emotional state at the time too, but I like that song and I like the Carpenters. I think there's a kind of a, uh, even though there's sentimental and squishy kind of uh, sentiments, I think there's a truth in that song. All of us run to someone or something when we're depressed or lonely or discouraged. Who is the one you first think of when you need someone to run to? Maybe it's a good friend or family member or a fellow believer. We all need those peoples in our lives to help us in difficult and disparaging and discouraging times. And I believe the Lord places those people in our lives. You know, don't discount people because God not only created us for himself, but he created us for each other. God said it's not good for man to be alone. And so we need each other, and God places people in our lives to help us through discouraging and difficult times. But there's some things that no human being alone can help you work through. Uh, some things they, that if you run to them, they can give you no answer. There's no human being who can forgive sins. There's no human being who can give meaning and purpose. There's no human being other than the Lord himself that can give eternal life. There's no human being who will totally fulfill you. Young people, uh, when I was 17, I wish I had realized this. You know, uh, you're looking for that one, you think they're going to bring fulfillment to your life. I hate to tell you, but nobody's going to do that. And you're not going to do that for anybody else. When you find that person that maybe God means for you to spend your life with, you discover they're another human being just, just with a lot of emotional difficulties just like you have. And so don't, don't think that one human being will meet all your needs. If you look to one person, you're going to be disappointed in them, and, and, and it's not going to be good. So you've got to look for, to the Lord for some things, especially for purpose and meaning and ultimate peace and joy. Uh, there's no one around you who can give you abundant eternal life except Jesus. And the truth, the wonderful truth, is that Jesus invites us to walk with him, to know him, to love him, and to live for him. He invites us to come to him and give our lives to him. And, and uh, he invites us. He's the one who loves us more than any other person can. And he invites us to walk with him and live for him and serve him and love him. If you don't go to him for forgiveness and peace and, uh, and eternal life, you're not going to find those things. Because only in Jesus will they be found. The old gospel song says, Living below in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford. Striving alone to face temptation's sword, where could I go but to the Lord? 
Where could I go? Where could I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul, needing a friend to help me in the end. Where could I go but to the Lord? Neighbors are kind. I love them, every one. We get along in sweet accord. But when my soul needs manna from above, where could I go but to the Lord? Life here is grand, my friends I love so dear. Comfort I get from God's own word. Yet when I face this chilling hand of death, where could I go but to the Lord? Where could I go? Oh, where could I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul. Needing a friend to help me in the end. Where could I go but to the Lord? Now in Matthew 11, we read of the growing opposition to Jesus. That will increase as we go, continue to go through Matthew. As it gives us insight into that opposition, it ends with the greatest, one of the greatest invitations ever given to human beings. Matthew 11 points out to us the need to go to Jesus every moment of our lives. And the question we should all ask ourselves this morning is this. Will we go to Jesus wherever we find ourselves in life? Will we go to Jesus wherever we find ourselves in life? First of all, will you go to Jesus in the face of injustice? And in the face of doubt. Will you go to Jesus in the face of injustice and doubt? Now John the Baptist heard all that Jesus had been doing. And notice how Matthew phrases this. He heard about, about the deeds of Christ. Now that's important because Matthew doesn't use that term Christ very often. And specifically... You know, when he uses it, he's talking about the Jewish Messiah. And he's the one whom John thought and uh, who John had a witness to the fact that God had identified him as Jesus Messiah. And so, and so John was having his doubts about whether this was true. John, where was John at this time? Well, he was confined in prison. He, he was... Uh, he was probably in a miserable place in a, in a fortress called Macarius, Macarius, I guess, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, east of the Dead Sea, 13 miles southeast of Herodium, itself just south of Jerusalem. It was a desert, it was a prison, it was a horrible place. And John was confined there for an outdoor person. Think about John. You know, he ate wild locusts and honey, and he lived by the, the Jordan River, and he baptized people there. And now he was confined to this horrible prison. It must have been a particularly horrible place for him. As we read in Matthew 11, he maybe could have been confined there for almost a year or more uh, at this time in Jesus' ministry. So John sent some of his disciples and said, Are you the one? Now, that is technical language. Uh, asking if Jesus was Messiah. Are you the one, <coughs> or shall we look for another? Now, don't you think that's quite a question from the one who saw the Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove and a voice from heaven say, This is my Son, with whom I'm well pleased? That's quite a question. However, Jesus was not the kind of Christ, was not the kind of Messiah that John had expected. John expected a Messiah who would do the things that Jesus did, but he would also come in judgment and right every wrong. He, John expected a Messiah who would do away with Israel's hypocritic leaders and, it, and the, the tyrant Romans who ruled over them. That was the kind of Messiah that John was probably expecting. John was expecting a, a, 
uh, one whom he said he would gather the wheat into the barn and burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. And those things were not happening. Jesus was uh, doing some things, but those kind of judge, uh, things that brought judgment and, and, uh, to wicked people was not happening. And here John was in prison in this horrible place, and Jesus had done nothing about getting him out of prison. John the Baptist, this great man of faith, had his doubts. Now, the truth is, even the greatest people of faith doubt from time to time. It happens. Circumstances in our lives happen. Circumstances in your lives happen. We all doubt. People you think would never doubt, doubt. I remember a few years ago, uh, they found, uh, I think it was a diary of Mother Teresa. And in Mother Teresa's diary, she expressed some doubts. And that just kind of shocked people. Like Mother Teresa never had doubts. Well, of course she did. Like every single person, like every one of us from time to time. But notice something about John. Where did he go to the place where his doubts could be addressed? He went to Jesus. He went to Jesus in the face of injustice. Where do you go when you doubt? Do you go to the world? Do you go to... To other believers to help you? Did you go to the Word of God to seek deeper understanding in it? Now, how did Jesus answer John's doubts, his questions? Jesus pointed to his work uh, that fulfilled messianic prophecies. Uh, basically, the prophecies from the book of Isaiah. Je- Jesus said the blind receive their sight. Uh, the... Uh, the, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Basically, he's kind of listing a litany of prophecies from the book of Isaiah. So Jesus answered John's doubts <coughs> with the truth of Scripture. And Jesus showed that he was fulfilling prophecies. But it's true that even in those prophecies, there were messages of judgment. If you read them in the context, uh, there were messages of judgment. Um, and Jesus was not fulfilling at that time's prophecies dealing with God's judgment. Are they going to be fulfilled? Of course they are going to be fulfilled. But they're going to be fulfilled when Jesus comes again. When Jesus comes again. Uh, the prophecies will be fulfilled concerning judgment when Jesus comes again. He will come. He will judge. He will gather the wheat in the barn and burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. But Jesus said when he came the first time, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Might be saved. When Jesus came the first time, he came to die to be the suffering servant to pay the penalty for our sins. And he's not going to right every wrong until the end. You know, people always say, why doesn't God do something about all the wickedness and evil in the world? Well, he's going to. He's going to. He's going to right every wrong. He's going, to, he's, going to do, he's going to recreate this world into the perfection that he meant it to be in the first place. And, you know, but the truth is, <coughs> when people ask that, they don't think about themselves. They don't think that maybe I'm an evildoer and I'm going to be destroyed in that. And the Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us are are righteous before a holy God. And it's only those who repent and believe in Jesus uh, that that their sins can be forgiven. And so if you call out to God for justice today, 
without calling out to him in repentance and faith in Jesus, you don't realize that his justice will one day destroy you if you don't know Jesus. You know, we want justice, but, but we, we need mercy. And sometimes as Christians, we become, we look at all the world and we think, God, why don't you do something about that? Instead of asking God, God, have mercy. God, work in their lives. God, bring them to yourself. God, reveal uh, the salvation that you offer to them. We need to thank God for the delay of his justice because all of us need mercy and grace. John went to Jesus with his doubts. Jesus said, don't be offended by me. Don't, just because things aren't going the way you thought, just because I'm not working exactly the way you thought I should work, don't stumble over me because God's, because you need to trust God's understanding and God's timing. You see, we need to remember that. When things go terrible in our lives, we need to remember that God is working out His plan in His way and His time, and we've got to trust Him. We've got to, we've got to just trust that God will work everything out uh, for His glory and for our good. Jesus, however, He didn't condemn John for coming to Him. That's where we need to go when we have doubts, right? He, he affirmed John in a wonderful way. John wasn't a wimpy, soft person. Uh, he was a courageous, prophetic voice for God's truth. But John was more than that. He was the very last of the prophets. who, And John was the very one who would prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. Prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. John said, among human beings, no one greater than John has been born. Now, he's not really talking so much about his character, but he's talking about his place in history. He is up to that time. He announces the coming of God to the earth. God with us. And so Jesus said up until that time, no one greater than John had been born. He had the greatest role up to that time as he came immediately before Jesus. But then Jesus said, if you're least in the kingdom of heaven, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's better for you. It's greater. Now, what does that mean? It means the least one who believes in Jesus knows and understands uh, uh, a little of his grace and salvation are better off than John because they're a part of the new kingdom. They don't have to look back. They don't have to look forward to something. They can look on what is true and what's real right now. We have the Holy Spirit living us and, and we are better and it's better for us. John went to Jesus in the face of life's horrible circumstances and injustice. And he went to Jesus when he doubted and we did, we need to do that <laughs> we need to do that too we're going to face horrible injustices and circumstances in our life a lot of us already have and it's until we go to be with the lord it's going to happen again will we go to jesus in the face of injustice secondly will you go to jesus when most oppose and reject him Will you go to Jesus when most oppose and reject them? Jesus talked about the response he had up to that point received. He said this generation was like children playing in the playground. They invited others to play funeral, to play wedding and celebrate, but nobody's going to play. They invited them to play funeral and well and mourn, but nobody wants to do that. They rejected both invitations and they blamed those who invited them that they aren't having any fun. Jesus told them that John came neither eating or drinking. Uh, John came neither eating and drinking and they said John the Baptist had a demon. Uh, 
John came indicating the seriousness of needing to repent. John tried to help people to see holy God is coming. And we need to get right with him. We need to turn from our sin and selfishness. And we need to, we need to turn to God. And John predict, predicted, uh, preached a serious message. And his, and his methods was kind of somber and serious. But they didn't like John's style. So they rejected John's message. Now Jesus came. And when people were around Jesus, the focus was, was kind of on the wonderful blessing of being forgiven, of living the forgiving life, and living in the presence of the Savior. And they accused Jesus of being a uh, drunkard and a glutton. They also re- rejected the same message. It's basically the same message, but a different side of the coin. Yes, we need to repent, but if you will repent, you can have life. And you can have fullness and you can walk with Jesus. What greater thing in life can ever happen to anyone? It's kind of a, a flip side of the coin. John's message of somberness and turning away from yourself to God. And Jesus' message of, of the life uh, of those who are redeemed and forgiven. The generation rejected what God was doing through John and Jesus. They didn't like the either one of them style. They griped about how both of them conducted their ministry. And what happened? They missed the movement of God among them. You know, we put so much emphasis on style and how people do things and how people worship and all of that thing. But the truth of the matter, are they preaching the message of the gospel? Maybe some people present it in a more serious way. Maybe some people present it in a, in a, in a, in a, in a way that emphasizes what it means to walk in forgiveness. But if they're preaching Jesus, if they're preaching Jesus and they're urging people to turn to him, uh, you better not pay attention to the method, but you better listen to the message, to the message of the gospel. If you reject the message of repentance and life because of the style of the messenger, you've rejected God's message. Not everybody has to do it like East Madison. Not everybody has to do it like Bob Ray. I hope you understand that. And there are many people out there that are trying to take the gospel to people. And you might not like the way they do it, but are they trying to take the message of the gospel to people? And if they are, let's, let's pray for them and love them and join them and do what we can to encourage them as they hopefully they'll encourage us. Jesus then pronounced woes, some warnings and denouncements. He said, woe to Chorazin and Bethsaida. These were uh, Bethsaida, some small cities. We think near uh, Capernaum where Jesus had done mighty miracles. We don't even know if these miracles were recorded in the New Testament. There was a lot of things Jesus did that weren't recorded. But Jesus said about these cities, Chorazin and Bethsaida, if the works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, um, these places would have repented. Tyre and Sidon were Old Testament cities notorious for their pride, their self-sufficiency, their sin. And Jesus said if what had been done in Tyre and Sidon would have, uh, in Chorazin and Bethsaida, in Tyre and Sidon, these cities would have repented. Jesus said it's going to be more bearable for those cities for, than for Chorazin and Bethsaida on the day of judgment. And then Jesus denounced Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was kind of the headquarters of Jesus and his ministry. It's a fantastic kind of archaeological place. They've discovered a lot of ruins around Capernaum. If you ever want to look it up on the internet, it's just, uh, Fantastic what they've, uh, what they've discovered. They've discovered a second century uh, synagogue where 
probably it was the place where, uh, the same place that Jesus himself would have read the scripture in and, and uh, preached in. And Capernaum was Jesus' headquarters. And Jesus said about Capernaum, uh, he, he denounced it. He, uh, he said, um, um, will you be exalted to the heaven? And that's an Old Testament reference to, to a prophecy about Babylon. Babylon thought she was going to be exalted to heaven. And God says they were going to be thrown down. Will you be exalted toward heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. You'll be brought down to hell. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Look at the denouncement that Jesus gave. He, first of all, he compared them to Babylon by using that prophetic scripture about Babylon to describe Capernaum. Um, and then he, then he even went farther. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom. Sodom was the epitome of immorality and evil in the Old Testament. And he says Sodom would have repented. And he says it will be more tolerable and more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for these cities. Now, what's Jesus trying to say here? I think, I think one of the things he says is that there are levels of judgment. There are levels of judgment. I don't know quite how to put this. I don't know quite how to explain this. But I think, I think it has the idea that even though all sins lead to death and separation from God, some sins receive a greater judgment. And you say, how is that? The greater the opportunity to grace that is provided, the greater the, the condemnation will be, will be for those who reject God's grace. The greater uh, the opportunity for grace that is provided, the greater the condemnation will be for those who reject God's grace. Uh, Luke 12, 47 and 48 says, a, a servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready and does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. For the one who has been trusted with much, much more will be asked. You know, my dad used to talk about his dad and he said, the worst place in hell would be for the one who was so close to receiving and believing in Jesus, but never did. Secondly, I think this passage teaches us that the greatest sins are not open immorality, but rejecting the Son of God. You see, every other sin can be forgiven. And if you believe in Jesus, every sin will be forgiven. It will be forgiven. However, if Jesus comes to you, and by His Holy Spirit, if Jesus comes to you and invites you to Himself, and you are apathetic or indifferent, and you don't embrace Him and receive Him, you cannot be forgiven. You cannot be forgiven. When Jesus visits you, Jesus had visited these cities, the very Son of God, the Savior in the world, and they had turned away in indifference and in apathy. And that's greater than any immorality that anyone would ever do. See, these cities, by and large, had rejected Jesus. And the culture, by and large, has rejected Jesus. And it will always be true 
that the wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and few and only a few find it. If you're waiting as a, uh, for following Jesus to become easy or popular or convenient, you will never come to Jesus. Most will oppose him. Most will reject him. In our day, it's not going to be any different. In fact, it might be, there might be greater numbers opposing and rejecting him in the world that we live in than, than 50 years ago. Will you go to Jesus when most oppose and reject him? Finally, will you go to Jesus when intellectuals and, and elite continually reject him? Now, Jesus prayed out loud. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The intellectual and the elite who think they can find the truth because of their own intellectual ability and in their pride do not know their great need before God have the truth hidden from them. Their pride, their self-awareness, their trusting in their own abilities and intellect and power will keep them from the truth. The great truth of salvation and life and meaning and purpose is hidden from those who think they can figure it out themselves. The truth about God is that no person can know God without God revealing himself to them. We can't understand the things of God if God doesn't reveal him. Christianity is a revealed faith. It's a revealed. God opens our eyes. God helps us to see and understand. Um, We don't figure God out on our own. We can see some evidences of God in creation, uh, but we can never come to salvation. We can never know truly who God is if God doesn't reveal himself to you, and, and he reveals himself basically through his word. No person can know God without God revealing himself to that person. You can't ever figure God out. You can never understand his ways without God's spirit opening your heart and mind and revealing God to you. Your mind and abilities can never enable you to comprehend life and salvation that God offers. The natural man, the scripture says, did not accept the things of the spirit of God. They are spiritually discerned. You, you know, the natural man thinks God's ways are foolish and thinks those who embrace him are fools. The scripture says the message of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God. It says the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. You cannot discover God through your intellectual ability. Now, Christianity is not anti-rationalism. Yes, I think it's rational, but I'm telling you, God has to open your eyes. You'll never discover God uh, through an intellectual process. The Holy Spirit has to reveal uh, the truth of God, the truth of salvation to you. But to the little children and the childlike, God reveals these things, Jesus is saying. Why? Because they know their need. They don't think themselves self-sufficient or intellectually elite. God's will is to reveal it to the children and the humble and hide it from those who trust in their own uh, intellectual abilities and pride and power. 
That's the way God works. If, if it's only when you don't, you realize I can't figure this out. It's only when you know that you don't know all the answers that God begins to reveal the truths of Jesus to you. Jesus then makes fantastic claims about himself. Look what he says. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus said, all things have been given to be by my Father. No one knows the Son. No one knows Jesus except the Father. And no one knows the Father the God the Father except the Son. The Greek word for know here is <coughs> means complete, total, and full knowledge. Jesus is claiming for himself deity here. And he's saying the Father has complete, total, and full knowledge of the Son. And the Son has complete, total, and full knowledge of the Father. And, and Jesus says it's only to whom the Son reveals the Father can they know the Father. The claim is still unfathomable by the intellectual elite. They still don't want to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. They still want to say, you know, Jesus didn't really say these things when, he, when we have them recorded. Then Jesus makes the great invitation. It's an invitation to the weary, to those in despair, to those burdened down by life and its circumstances. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. <coughs> for my yoke is easy and my load is light. The invitation is, to, is from Jesus, and the invitation is to come to Jesus. It's not to find religion, it's to come to Jesus. The invitation is to come to him to find rest. The invitation is to take up his yoke and learn of him. A yoke was a, a collar you'd put on a couple of animals that they'd pull a plow behind it. And so Jesus was saying, uh, take my yoke upon, uh, upon you. Yes, there are demands. And the, if you follow Jesus, you are taking on a yoke. But the, the truth is, a yoke has two collars. With you in one side and Jesus in the other. You in one side and Jesus in the other. And so his yoke is easy and his load is light as you learn to trust him and to live for him. As you learn to allow his power to flow through you. And as he pulls the weight for you. You put on Jesus' yoke and Jesus is on the other side of the yoke pulling the weight. And as you learn from Jesus, you see he's gentle and lowly in heart. And Jesus gives rest to you as you walk beside him pulling the yoke. A lot of people say you Christians have too many rules. No. Jesus helps us with all those things. Jesus gives us his strength. Uh, the, the more you walk with Jesus, the more you realize it's his power. And he enables you to do the things that he wants you to do. And you want to do the things that he wants you to do. Jesus is pulling with you and you walk beside him and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so the question is, will you go to Jesus? Will you go to Jesus when intellectuals and elite continually reject him. Where are you going to go to meet the greatest needs of your life today? The one you and I truly need is the one who has arms outstretched and invites us to come to him. And the one who says, Jesus who says to us, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. 
Have you ever burdened by life? Do you know people that are burdened by life? It seems to come crushing down on them. I've been reading about so many people struggling with depression and suicide and those kind of things. And I just what a heavy burden people have today. And Jesus wants to help them carry that burden. He wants to help you carry your burden. Don't you want that kind of rest today? Come to Jesus wherever you find yourself this morning. It might be for the first time. It might be for the hundredth time. But come to Jesus. Come to Jesus today. I think Chris Wright wrote this song. I don't, it's called the Untitled Hymn. I don't know if he, if he wrote it or he discovered it. But I really love this song. and it, it just says, Weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die, oh, raise your head, for love is passing by. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and live. Now your burden's lifted and carried far away, and precious blood has washed away the stain. So sing to Jesus. Sing to Jesus. Sing to Jesus and live. And like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl. And remember when you walk, sometimes we fall. So fall on Jesus. Fall on Jesus. Fall on Jesus and live. Sometimes the way is lonely and steep and filled with pain. So if your sky is dark and pours the rain, then cry to Jesus. Cry to Jesus. Cry to Jesus and live. And oh, when the love spills over and music fills the night, and when you can't contain your joy inside, then dance for Jesus. Dance for Jesus. Dance for Jesus and live. And with your final heartbeat, kiss the world goodbye. Then go in peace and laugh on glory's side. And fly to Jesus. Fly to Jesus. Fly to Jesus and live. Fly to Jesus. Fly to Jesus. Fly to Jesus and live. Come to Jesus today. Sing to Jesus today. Fall on Jesus today. Cry to Jesus today. Dance for Jesus. And ultimately, you will fly to Jesus. Jesus invites you to come. He invites you to come to Him. To give your life to Him. And to come to Him for the first time or the hundredth time. Will you come to Him today? Will you go to Him today? Let's pray. Maybe for the first time you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to come to Jesus. Megan and Jason are going to be at the back, at the bottom of the stairs if you need to talk to someone. Or maybe you need to take something else to Jesus and you kind of need someone to walk through that with you. And you need someone to pray with you about something you need to give to Jesus and to bring to Jesus. They're there to help you, whatever God might lead you to do this morning. Oh, Father, I thank you for the great invitation that you invited sinners, those who are weary and heavy laden to come to you and you will give them rest. Lord, we know that following you is, is being on mission with you, but we also know that it's a mission that you walk beside us every step of the way. You're there to help us and to guide us and to strengthen us. You're there to comfort us and to give us rest, even in the midst as we follow you. Oh, Lord, help us to realize that coming to you is the most wonderful thing any of us can ever do. Thank you, Lord, that you invite us. 
I pray that no one would turn down your invitation, whether that invitation is to give their life to you for the first time, or whether that invitation is, is to take a burden that they're carrying, they feel oppressed by it, they don't know how to deal with it, or to take a sin that they need to confess and come to you. I pray that you'd help them to come to you today. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.